This morning, we want to turn our attention uh, to James chapter number two. I'm a little, I'm a little charged up this weekend. Went to a Kirk Franklin concert, so maybe I'm, 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 I'm ready to engage in a little bit more uh, fussing and passionate preaching this morning. So, don't, don't, don't push me over the edge. But anyway, James chapter number two. I mean, chapter number one. We're going to read verses two through twelve this morning. James chapter number one. We're going to begin reading in the second verse. And the scripture declares, Count it all joy, my brothers or sisters, when you meet uh, trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. The one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its its flowers uh, fails, and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man uh, will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Uh, Just for a few moments, I want to preach from the subject title, Faith That Can Be Trusted. Faith That Can Be Trusted. Let me pray for us. Father, it is always so good to be in your house. So thankful for the opportunity to be with our family. God, I thank you that this is more than a building. And this is just more than another service. But this is an opportunity for the family to come together. God, as we uh, dig into a very, very tough topic this morning, God, I pray that you would give us grace. God, I can conclude that there's someone here today who's probably going through a trial, who's probably feeling as if maybe I'm alone, I'm by myself. Probably somebody here this morning who who wrestled with, should they even come to church this morning? God, I want to thank you for that person being here. I want to thank you for that person taking a step of faith. God, I pray, God, that you would use this sermon to meet us all, that you would speak to us clearly, God, that we would see exactly what your word is saying. God, help us to be prepared for the trials of life. God, help us to not be in a position where The trials cause us to lose our faith. God, but help us to be men and women who allow the trials of life to increase our faith. We love you, and God, we truly thank you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, One of my all-time favorite Bible teachers is a professor by the name of Howard Hendricks. Uh, Dr. Hendricks was a longtime uh, tenured professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, Dallas Theological Seminary was my 
dream seminary coming out of college. Um, thankfully, I got accepted uh, into the program, but then I got uh, the tuition uh, bill from the school, and I prayed a little bit, and I got a scholarship from another seminary, and then the, guess what? The Lord gave me a new dream school, right? <laughs> so I ended up going to Sanford University because they gave me a scholarship, but even though I never had the privilege of meeting Dr. Hendricks, his writings, concerned, uh, his writings concerning uh, biblical ex- exegesis and hermeneutics, uh, those, those books, those articles, those sermons have had a great and profound impact on my life. In one of his sermons, uh, Dr. Hendricks told a story concerning a school in Texas. Uh, before World, World War II, uh, there was a town in Texas that had a school fire, and the school fire took the lives of over 200 and 63 kids. There was not a family in the town that was not impacted by the horrifying tragedy. Uh, During uh, this time, uh, the the tragedy was confounded or or even heightened by the fact that the country was going through uh, the the World War. Uh, During the World War, the small town made a decision to not uh, to rebuild the school. They just wanted to kind of get through a season and once the war was over, they made a decision to, build, to rebuild the school. When, when, the, when they made the decision to rebuild the school, they made a commitment to having the finest sprinkler system that money could buy. When they opened the school, civic pride ran high. Uh, honor students uh, had been selected to give people uh, tours of the new facility. They wanted to show them uh, the classrooms, the lunchroom. They wanted to show them the gym. They wanted to show them how special this new school was. And when the school was dedicated, the mayor of the town made a bold declaration. He says that a significant tragedy that happened before will never, ever happen again. Fast forward seven years later, uh, the town is growing and they found they need to expand the school. It was necessary to enlarge the area so that more students could be impacted. And as the new wing was added to the school, it was discovered that the most advanced sprinkler system that money could buy had never been connected to a water source. Upon realizing this, upon realizing that the system had never been connected the school officials ultimately realized that the system had not been tested. I want to pause right here. I want to say something about the test and the trials of life. When God allows you to go through a test, when God allows you to go through a trial, God is not trying to hurt you. I'm going to say it again. When you go through the trials and the test of life, our God is not trying to hurt you, but God loves you too much to not help you grow. For those of us who are going through a season of trials, for those of us who are coming out of a season of trials, for those of us who are heading into a season of trials, it's been said that either we're in a trial, we're headed to a trial, or we're coming out of a trial. No matter where you find yourself at today, please know that God is not trying to hurt you, but God is willing to help you grow in the midst of your trials. 
as we read verses 2 through 12, we see three significant truths concerning the trials of our lives. And the first thing we see is there is certainty concerning your trials. There is certainty. Verse 2 says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet various trials. In verse 2, God is essentially telling us you can expect the trial. Uh, Sometimes uh, I can be out and about um, uh, riding around Athens and uh, I realize that I'm close to somebody's house or I realize I'm close to somebody's job and um, because I'm the pastor, I'll just pop up on you. People don't like it, but it's okay. You know, I like to pop up so you can't clean your house. I like to pop up so you don't have enough time to put your big Bible out on the table. (laughs) And I want to pop up without warning because I want you to know I love you, but I want to mess with you a little bit, right? In all seriousness, God doesn't want you to be caught off guard when it comes to trials. So the text tells us that trials are on the way. I know nobody wants to hear that. I know nobody wants to accept that. But the text is literally telling us you can expect a trial to be on the way in your life. The text says when you fall into trials, not if you fall into trials. Doesn't matter if you're young or old, black or white, or rich or poor, Latino or Asian, or Caucasian, Brazilian, German. The text tells us that trials are on the way. The test and the trials of life, we must understand, are a part of the human experience. When James speaks about the certainty of trials, not the possibility of trials, he's letting us know as believers that trials are ordinary, but they're also necessary. Now, on one level, it just seems wrong uh, that it's this way. It seems wrong that we should have to face trials. It seems wrong that the Lord, who is good and loving and gracious and kind, would allow us to go through hard seasons in our life. It just does not seem right, and it's true. It's not right. When you look at life, Through the lenses of the fall, you understand that the world that we know it today is not the world the way God created it. When we understand the fall, we understand that that when sin entered the world, then pain and suffering and sickness and disease also entered the world. When we think about how God originally created the world... We were not just created to be in God's uh, image, but we were also created to be in God's presence. We are image bearers of God, and God desires to have a relationship with us. But the moment sin entered the world, the moment Adam and Eve broke the covenant that they had with God, sickness and pain and suffering and trials also accompanied their disobedience. I think it's important for me to say it this way. Sin... Is not just a mistake or a habit, but sin is rebellion to God. And because of rebellion to God, we have pain in the world today. It's because of the rebellion that we have the trial. And because of our rebellion, we have trouble. And because of the reality of sin, we will live a life that is consistently confronted with pain that we do not want to suffer. No one here, no one here desires to go through suffering. No one here desires to go through the trials of life. But here's the truth. 
These things are a part of our Christian experience. Uh, recently, I was on the phone with a really good friend. He told me about a new, um, uh, a new Disney executive service uh, that he's investing in. Uh, this new service gets you a pass to every ride in the Disney parks. Uh, this just is not a, a fast pass, but this is literally a go to the front of the line pass. This is a go to private restaurants in the park pass. This is uh, this this pass allows you to go to shows that the that the general public does not know about. When you think about it, well, actually, I, I was. As soon as he was talking, I was like, yeah, next time I go to Disney, I'm going to call you, for sure. <laughs> when you think about the issue or the issues of life, we really want the fast pass. Or not even the fast pass, we want that executive service. Well, I can bypass the pain, I can bypass the struggle, I can by- bypass all the, 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 the hard moments of life. Some of us even want a spiritual uh, reward system. Remember going to a restaurant before there were apps? Uh, usually most, um, most restaurants will have a punch card, right? And the more you went there, the more you get your card punched. And if you got enough punches on your card, you got a free meal. Students, y'all probably don't even remember this, right? <laughs> it's for, it's for my, my, my 25 and older crowd. You remember... Like, you would go to Moe's, and you, you would get enough punches, and you would get a free burrito. Like, you would go to Smoothie King, and you would get enough punches, and you would get a free smoothie. Uh, sometimes we want to uh, believe that if I just pray hard enough, if I get enough punches in my spiritual card, then I'm going to bypass the pain. Like, if I can check off enough Sundays coming to Calvary, if I can just uh, give enough, if I can just come to Bible study, if I can just uh, send a pastor a night, no, if I can just do enough, we want to believe that I can get out of the pain, that I can bypass the tests and the trials. And the reality of it is there's some things that you cannot bypass. Now, now here, here is me being honest now. There are moments in our life, there are things in our life that we can bypass if we are willing to be obedient to the Lord. Uh, if I am willing to eat healthy, I can bypass the high blood pressure, right? If I don't fudge numbers at work, like if I don't add extra hours uh, to my time card, I can bypass getting laid off, right? If I don't uh, steal the, the, uh, the, the, the piece of candy from the store, I can bypass uh, going to jail. There are things in life that we can bypass But there are other things in life, I was going to use a different illustration, but anyway, (laughs) there are things in life that we cannot bypass. There are are moments in your Christian experience that you just can't get out of it. You can't hit fast forward. Remember that movie when the guy had the little remote, he could just fast forward through things? I, I so wish I had that. I wish I could just fast forward through some stuff. I also wish I could rewind sometimes in my life. But the reality of it is, When we look at the problems in our life, when we look at the trials and the struggles of our life, we've got to understand that it's not about praying harder or praying more or not sinning a certain way that will guarantee me that I won't face a trial. I think think it's important for me to say, especially in certain Christian experiences, we've been taught that if you just believe enough, we've been taught that if you just sin less, We've been taught that if you reach a certain level in your life, 
that this is going to be easy and it's going to be uh, without struggle, without pain, and without trials. Let me tell somebody here this morning, if you're going through a trial this morning, that does not necessarily mean that you've sinned or done anything wrong. So first we see the certainty of trials, but then secondly we see the diversity of trials. Verse 2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Trials are circumstances of life that are difficult, and these are trials and circ- well, these are circumstances that cause you to depend on God. If you want a definition for a trial, a trial is anything that the Lord brings in your life that cause you, causes you to depend on God at a greater level. Various in the text means multicolored. It means that trials look different for different people. Trials look different depending upon the stage of life you're in. Trials as a young person uh, is totally different than trials as an older person. A trials as a married person is different than trials as a single person. Uh, trials uh, in college are different than trials after college. Trials are different, uh, but all of our trials uh, have an opportunity to cause us to trust God at a deeper level. While we're going through our trials, it's easy for us to think, once again, has the Lord forgotten about me? Has the Lord left me? Is God punishing me? If I hadn't have did this, then maybe God wouldn't have done that. It's easy for us in the deep recesses of our hearts and our minds when we're alone, when we can't sleep at night, when we're struggling, to go back through the list of mistakes that we made to get ourselves to think that if I had just done blank, then I would not feel this pain. If I had just done blank, then the Lord would not have allowed this to happen to me. And yes, there are things that we do, and this is, this is next week's sermon. We're going to talk about the things that we bring on ourselves when we succumb to temptation, but that is not what we're talking about this morning. This morning we're talking about how God will allow you to be through, uh, how God will allow circumstances and situations to be present in your life to help you grow. That's why I have significant issues with preachers or pastors, evangelists or prophets, whoever you want to say, who tell people the lie that once you reach a certain level, you don't have to deal with certain stuff. Like once you give a certain amount, if you just sow enough, the Lord's going to raise up that standard and your house will never be touched. If you just, if you just come enough weeks in a row, if you just do enough, if you just perform good enough for God, then you won't have to go through the trial. Now, any preacher who says that has not read the book of James, and any preacher who says that has not listened to the words of Jesus. John 16, 33, I say this all the time, but it's, it is a passage that I go back to over and over and over again. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, in this life, in Athens, Georgia, you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, you will have trials, but take heart because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I can remember when I was a younger Christian, my, my go-to, my go-to verse was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, I would play it in college, I would have, have it on my wristbands, you know, 
you know, we had a little eye black. We put 413 on your eyes. Like, you just couldn't tell me anything. Like, I was, I was going to be the greatest warrior for Christ on that field. I wasn't going to make any mistakes. I was going to be dominant because I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I took that verse as like my, my lucky rabbit's foot spiritually. <laughs> then when I began to mature a little bit, the Lord allowed me to read Philippians 4.12. Philippians 4.12 says, I know how to live on almost nothing or everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Philippians 4.13 is communicating that whatever state the Lord allows us to be in, we can accept that. And that's when we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. As you get older, as you get wiser, as you get more mature, you will start leaning on uh, James 1, 2. You will start leaning on Philippians 4, 12. You're going to start leaning on John 16, 33. I believe if we had a testimony time here, there are folks who can stand up today and share some deepest and dark struggles with things that they have not done anything to bring upon themselves. There are people here who have lost children. There are people here who have been hurt. There are people here who have been wronged. There are people here who are struggling. And I want to tell you in those moments, please, please, please do not think that God has forgotten about you. So first we see the certainty of trials. Secondly, we see the diversity of trials. And then thirdly, we see the legacy of trials. Verse 3 says, for, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When the passage speaks about being perfect, it is saying being mature. Okay? When we read verses 3 and 4, the passage is essentially encouraging us that Trials come to prove something, the genuineness of our faith, and trials also come to grow something, and that's our faith. The passage does not mention faith because if you have enough faith, you will automatically be removed from the trial. But the passage mentions faith because faith gives us perspective in the midst of the trial. It gives us perspective on what God is doing. It gives us perspective on being able to trust the Lord. It gives us perspective that reminds us that trials have been assigned to us by God. We don't want to hear that. But the truth is, some of your trials have been assigned to you by God. And yes, Jesus gives us some wonderful assignments. When I think about the assignment to be the pastor here, it is a wonderful assignment. When I think about how God assigns us hope and love, how God assigns us grace, how God gives us mercy, how God allows us to be a part of his body, that is a wonderful assignment. But we cannot accept that assignment without also understanding that there are some rough parts to the assignment. Uh, uh, last year, I, I I've mentioned this many times. We built a house. It was a great experience. It was really cool to be able to uh, pick the colors and pick the brick and pick the furniture and pick all the other stuff, pick the light fixtures. And it was great. We were having just a good time just picking out stuff all over the place. <laughs> then we moved into the house, and guess what happened? 
I got that mortgage. <laughs> and, and the mortgage each month reminds me of the sacrifice that we have to make. The mortgage grows me up in my responsibility. The mortgage is necessary to keep me grounded on what I need to do with my finances. Same thing with trials. Trials have a way of keeping you grounded and they keep you focused on what is most important. I hope that we all understand that God using trials is something that the Lord has always done throughout Scripture. When you go back to Genesis and you look at Abraham, he, 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 he reminds us that God can strengthen us in the midst of the trial, that God brings the best out of us when we go through hard times. We also need to understand that, that trials and testing uh, is not something that should work against us, but it's something that should work for us. First uh, Peter 1.6 simply says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whenever a, a gold prospector brings an ore sample into the assessor's office, the sample has to be tested. Now, the sample itself is really small. Uh, for some of us, it could be seen as insignificant. But if the assessor approves the sample, then he's making an official statement that the, that the entire ore amount that is found is worth millions of dollars. It assures the prospector that the gold mine is something precious. When you think about the passage, it's a reminder that God's approval of our faith is precious because it assures us that our faith is genuine. That's why we must accept that trials work for the believer, not just against the believer. That is why Paul tells us in Romans 8 that God is able to work all things together. Doesn't mean that only good things will happen, but the text tells us that God has a way of working things together for our good. A couple of years ago, my wife made me a, a, a hummingbird cake. Cake was amazing. Ate the whole cake. I'm sure I'm still carrying some pounds from that cake. And when you think about the ingredients that go into the hummingbird cake, the ingredients by themselves are terrible. Like no, well, I can't say no one. I would never eat a raw egg by itself. I would never just eat salt by itself. I would never eat baking soda by itself. I would never eat flour by itself. But when those things are mixed together and when those things are added to some heat, when those things are blessed and those things are brought to the table, they do something significant in your life. I believe that's how we should look at trials, that God is able to take things in our life. God is able to work out the good and the bad, the, the highs and the lows. He's able to work out the circumstances of our life so that we can grow in our faith. Because ultimately, God desires to produce something in our lives. Romans 5 simply says, uh, 5 verse 3 and 4 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, 
And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Trials produce endurance. It allows us to bear up under so that we can have hope in our lives. And last week, we spoke about how the book of James is not a book uh, that gives us a tour in the gym, right? But the book of James is a book that causes us to put some weight on the bar and to work out. Now, here's the thing that we hate about working out. When you work out, uh, the, the, the weight that is supposed to help you and transform you will hurt you. If you work out really good, you're going to be sore. You're going to have some pain. You're going to have some uncomfort. And here's the thing about working out. Before you see the transformation, you're going to feel the pain. And the same thing with trials. Before you see the transformation in your life, you're going to feel the pain that comes as a result of the trials of life. We cannot think that. I'm going to be transformed without the pain. We cannot think that I'm going to be transformed without putting some weight on the bar. Now, here's the thing. Is it, is it just that God is in heaven uh, wanting to, to, to punish us? Is God in heaven uh, wanting to play with us? Is God in heaven uh, trying to just be this cruel dictator over us? Absolutely not. God is in heaven desiring for us to be mature. God is in heaven uh, desiring to put us in circumstances where we can grow up. We can be more like Jesus. Yes, God wants you to be born again. Yes, God wants you to place your faith in Christ. But God also wants you to grow in your spiritual life. I'm very acquainted with, with children because we've had four of them. And one of the things about babies, babies are selfish. They are. Like, you can't tell me we're not born in the sin when you see a, a baby. Like, seriously. When you think about a baby, they cry when they don't get their way. They fuss when they're hungry. They, they, they well and travail when they're dirty. Um, they, 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 are just, they are just immature, selfish human beings. That was, that's what happens in the church often. We can be immature, selfish members of God's body. And unless God grows us up, we will stay like babies. We will stay immature. We will stay self-centered. We will stay, we will stay consumed with ourselves. Well, one of the things I love about my wife is she is so concerned about the welfare of our kids. And she's willing to put our kids before herself. And as, as Christians, we should get to a place in our life where we are able to put other members of our body before ourselves. And what God has to do is he has to allow us to go through trials and go through testing so that we can be more like Christ. Now, I want to say something super important right here. When God places you in a trial... And when God desires to conform you, God only wants to conform you to be like Christ. God is not trying to conform Thomas to be like Larry or Patrick or Chapman or Andy. God does not want me to live my life in such a way where I am sizing up and comparing others and so consumed about someone else's story, so consumed with somebody else's life, somebody else's blessings, uh, somebody else's assignments, that I am wanting to be more, more conformed to them than I am conformed to Christ. God wants you to be conformed to Christ. And a lot of times we're not conformed to Christ 
because our focus is on, and our attention is on other people more so than we are conforming ourselves to Christ. I think some of us would do very well this morning to take our attention off of other people. Yes, we do well to do life together. Yes, we have been blessed to do community together. Yes, the Lord has allowed us to do this thing called life together. But if I live my life comparing myself uh, to Fernando, if I live my life comparing myself uh, to Jay, if I live my life comparing myself to Keyshawn, my life will be robbed of the joy and the growth that God desires for me. Amen. We've heard this illustration many times before, but when, when the goldsmith is purifying the gold, he leaves it in the fire until he can see his reflection, Right? What the Lord allows us to do is he allows us to go through the sufferings of life and the trials of life because he wants to see himself in us. Verse 5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will, will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Why, why do we need wisdom when we're going through trials? It, it almost seems more appropriate to ask for strength. I mean, if you're having to bear up under something, you need some strength, right? If you're, if you're having to go through a hard season, you need grace, you need mercy. When I'm going through a trial... Sometimes I want deliverance, right? I don't want to understand. I just want to get out of it. But James is encouraging us that some of us would do well, not some of us, all of us would do well, to ask for wisdom, to ask, for circum- for, to ask that the Lord would reveal to us the circumstances and that the Lord would reveal to us the areas of our life that we are trying to change. Some of us are wasting our trials because we're lacking wisdom. We're, wa- we're wasting our trials because we're not to a place in our life where we totally understand that it is God who is totally in control. James says, don't just ask for wisdom, but James tells us how to ask for wisdom. He says, when you ask, ask in faith. When we ask God for things, now certain things you should never ask God for because it's not biblical. But when God says, ask me for wisdom, that is something that we should be happy about asking. We should never go to God asking God why, asking God for wisdom, and think that the Lord is upset with us when the text tells us we can ask God for wisdom in our trials. We can ask God the question why. Like sometimes I've heard people say, well, you're never supposed to ask God why. I don't ever see it in Scripture. Here in the text, it is giving us an opportunity to ask God for wisdom concerning our trials and concerning what is going on. But he says, when you ask, though, so you can't be tossed to and fro. You can't be going back and forth between different opinions. When, when I think about our, our lives spiritually, it really does remind me of that, the picture of that tree planted. Like, Pelon, in the back, took him about two months to take down the tree out there, right? It took him over two months to take out the tree over there. (laughs) Keep it real, bro. (laughs) But it was a slow process because that tree is rooted in the ground. 
We'll be out here. He'll be up in the tree. He'll be climbing on it. He'll be all through it, have saws and axes. Like he could just go all through the tree because the tree was rooted and grounded, right? And ultimately, he had to cut it off piece by piece because if he had to just knock it all the way down, it could have ripped up the foundation of the church. When you think about being rooted and grounded, we have to be more rooted and grounded in God's word than we are the things of this world. When we are not rooted and grounded in God's word, we are tossed to and fro by the issues of this life. So when you look at the text, it begins with using the word count. Count it all joy. Instead of bickering, instead of giving up, instead of getting bitter, we are called to count something. Count means to evaluate. It's an accounting term. Because sometimes in our minds, our trials won't make sense. Like the Lord allowing certain things to happen to us just would not seem right. But when we count it all joy, the text is encouraging us to make an evaluation based upon a certain perspective. If you think that God is angry and mad at you and fussing at you and trying to strike you down, when you go through the trials of life, it's going to make you bitter. But when you have the perspective that God does love me, that God is for me, that God cares for me, that God has a plan for me, that God wants me to grow in my relationship, when I have that kind of evaluation of the trial, I see it as God trying to help me rather than God trying to hurt me. As I close, Chris, you can come on up. We have four very basic applications for our text today. Uh, There is a writer that I would encourage you to uh, consider uh, looking at some of his literature. His name is Andrew Murray. Um, I'm not 100% um, in agreement with everything he writes, but he's from the 1800s. He's a church planner. He's South African. He kind of gives me a different perspective. Like I don't want to just read pastors from Georgia. Like I want to have a an expanded worldview, and I want to have an expanded uh, opportunity to be challenged by different people, right? And in one of Andrew Murray's books, um, he speaks about facing trials. And here's what he says. When we face trials, we must conclude four things. Number one, we must conclude that we are in the midst of the trial by God's appointment. The trial you're going through, the trial that you're coming out of and that trial that you're heading into, it's by God's appointment. Now, that makes us super uncomfortable because we don't want to believe that I need the trial, that I need the hard things in my life. But the truth of the matter is, God has to give us some appointments to help us grow. But secondly, while I am in the midst of the trial, I need to simply say, I am here in God's keeping. God is able to not just keep me when things are good, but God is also able to keep me in the midst of my struggles. My God is able to keep me, to hold me close, to allow nothing to separate me from his love. Thirdly, I must also say, I am in God's training program. The God has some work for me to do, and God has got to train me up. God's got to put me in some situations where I can grow.
And fourthly, and it's probably the hardest one, when we go through trials, we need to simply say, I'm in God's training program based upon God's timing. The trial will end when God ordains for it to end. I'm not talking about sin right now. I'm not talking about you making a mistake. I'm saying that there are seasons of your life, Paul being shipwrecked. It's a trial. God appointed him to it. Daniel in the lion's den. That was an appointment. Right? My son having surgery. It's an appointment. There are a lot of things that we go through that we don't want to accept are good things. But when you see it from this perspective, I'm here God's, by God's appointment. I'm here in God's keeping. I'm in God's training program. And I'm here for as long as God wants me to do. Helps me not waste the trial. And it helps me get to a place to where I can accept that this is a good thing. Not what I want. Not what I would design. But I can see how the Lord will use it for our glory. I want everybody to stand as we get ready to leave. We're going to do it a little different today. If we could grab a hand. And we're going to spend some time praying together. Okay? I'm going to give us some things that we're going to pray for corporately. And I want you to pray these things for yourself. But I also want you to pray for the person whose hand you're holding. And also pray for someone who maybe is not here today. Maybe pray for somebody who's not involved in church. I'm going to pray a little bit. And I'm going to give you some things to pray for. I'm going to let you pray a little bit. I'm going to come back and give you some more stuff to pray for. And then I'll ultimately close this. Okay? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to pray together. Lord, I thank you that we can be honest that life is hard. I thank you we can be honest that the weight of life at moments seems too bearable. Seems like I cannot bear up under it. Sometimes I want to quit. Sometimes I want to just give up. Sometimes I want to just do something differently. But I want us to pray right now for endurance. I want us to pray that the Lord would bless us to endure. And that the Lord would bless the person who I'm holding to endure. That we would never give up on you. That we would never leave the faith. That we would never stop depending on you. God, help us, God, to endure. I want you to pray. God, we also want to pray for our character. God, that we will be men and women after your own heart. God, that we would not have just a perception or a facade. 
God, but I pray that our character will be transformed. God, I pray that we would become more like Christ. God, that we would take our attention off other people and that we would place our attention on you. I want you to pray. Lastly, we want to pray for opportunities to serve those who are hurting. I want you to pray specifically that the Lord would not allow you to be so busy that you pass by people, that you drive by people, that you're in work with people or in class with people who are hurting. God, make us sensitive to those in our body, but those who are outside of our body who are hurting. And God, let us see the opportunity that we have to encourage our brothers and our sisters. I want you to pray. God, we thank you for blessing us with this opportunity to come together today. Lord, I ask that you will give us wisdom concerning the trials of life. God, that you will protect us from Satan's lie, that you don't love us, and that you don't care about us. God, let us be grounded in the truth that you love us, that you are compassionate that you are long-suffering. God, thank you that you are not just good to us, but you're our God. You're our Savior. You're our lover. God, you help us, Lord, in our infirmities. God, remind us each and every day, God, that when we place our faith and our trust in you, God, that we are not alone, that we are not by ourselves. God, I thank you, God, that you give us your Holy Spirit to indwell us, to empower us. God, but I also thank you that you give us a body, give us other believers, God, to link up arms with. God, help us, Lord, as we leave this place, God, to make a greater commitment to you and also to your church. I'm not talking about Calvary. I'm talking about the universal body of believers. God, I pray that you would continue to bless our sermons, Lord. Pray, God, that you would speak to me, Lord God, that you would give me something to say. God, that would point people to Christ, that would encourage people in their faith, that would cause us to not waste our lives. Father, we love you, and we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.